0: Welcome to the Doxology Podcast, I am Jens Nelson, and I am Lucas Stock, and this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So today we're bringing you a special saucy episode on the topic of none other than hell. Um, Oh boy. uh, yeah, oh boy. This is an exciting topic. Uh, I, I was very thrilled, uh, very touched and honored at the opportunity to discuss such important matters. And I'm being a little bit sarcastic there, but in all, in all honesty, uh, I think it's safe to say at the outset, this is not going to be an episode on who goes to hell or condemning any sort of people to hell. that That isn't our goal. That isn't the purpose of this episode. Um, really and what we wanted to job. talk about. <laughs> right, yeah, not our job. That's not our responsibility. Uh, the point The point and the goal of this episode is simply to talk about what is hell? Uh, how have people conceived of this place? What did the Old Testament, the New Testament, maybe the intertestamental periods, like the period between the two, uh, what did it look like uh, in early first century Christianity and, and later Judaism. Like, what did this idea look like? How did it develop? Uh, how do we talk about it today? So that's that's going to be the focus of this episode. So is there anything that you want to say at the outset, Lucas?
1: Yeah, I, I think that it is helpful to sort of set expectations and think about how um, we're not going to be able to cover so much, right? You know, there, there's there's a lot of history of Christian theologians reflecting on this Jewish theologians reflecting on this. We could look at other faith traditions and philosophical traditions. Like there's, there's a lot that you can, you know, a topic is big like we like to do here. We like to pick these ridiculously big topics uh, and just kind of try and dive in and hit what we feel like is helpful or important or interesting or some mix of the three. Um, So I do think it's, it it is good to set expectations and it's good to, um, recognize what we're doing and not doing. So we're, we're trying to look at from sort of a, like, like you said, a, a more bird's eye view. We're looking at the nature of hell itself. You know, we're not so much interested in, like you said, the, the, pe- the people or the beings or the you know, demons or the creatures that are, that are related to hell or in hell or destined for hell or, you know, those are questions that, that have, you know, that, that are, I'm sure even more controversial than what we're going to cover and and more, uh, you know, maybe more clickbaity if we were to, you know, title this, who's going to hell, (laughs) you know, but what is hell is more what we're going for. We're trying to figure out, not figure out, but discuss, um, different witnesses to hell. And and we're more, I think, probably going to be just because of time constraints and as well as our own, you know, just limited expertise and knowledge. It's, it's definitely going to, I think, feel kind of like our episode last week on predestination, um, like a broad introduction, which might be frustrating. It might be exactly what you're looking for. You might have questions that we skip over or don't even mention. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast, I feel like. So in order to get to as much as we can based on what we've prepared and how much time we have, let's jump right in or, you know, continue moving on or, you know, get to the meat of it. Um, And we'll start, I think, with the most logical place, or at least to me, it's the most logical place. We'll start with what scripture has to say. Um, And I think we'll just kind of looks like go in order, (laughs) Old Testament, New Testament, kind of talk through these things. Jen's really put in the work on on this sort of half for this side of the of the uh, conversation. So I'm going to let you take it away and kind of just get us started on 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 the biblical basis or background or or what are the things that we need to know that uh, that scripture does tell us specifically when we're talking about, you know, what is hell or, or even maybe bigger than that. I'm, I'm you know, we'll see. But. Um, start start off with that. How's that? <laughs> yeah,
0: and I will say if some of this material sounds a little bit recycled or sim- uh, familiar, uh, we did talk a lot about this in our episode on Christ's descent to the dead, and maybe that's an episode you've listened to. Maybe it's not. If you haven't, go check it out because I think it uh, is a good companion to this one, at least as we understand what it means that uh, the creed, as the creed says, Jesus descended into hell or he descended to the place of the dead, um, because that is at least somewhat tangential to this conversation, but um, I figured I would at least talk about some of that uh, for those of you who, who haven't heard it. If, you've ha- if you have heard this, maybe it'll just be a good refresher for you. Uh, but something that we really need to understand, especially as it pertains to the Old Testament, is the way that people looked at the world. Just like today, we have ideas for how we think things work. Oftentimes it's based on science and data, what we can see and feel and taste and all that. Uh, But in in the Old Testament, the the people that lived in that world and the world surrounding them uh, had a three tiered cosmology. They saw the world as being tiered and tiered into two thirds. So there was heaven, uh, the things that were in heaven. So think of like the abode of God, uh, the abode of the angels Uh, you have on earth. So that's the things that you can see, touch, smell, all those things. And then under the earth. Uh, so those who were dead, those who had deceased, those who had passed on. Um, so heaven, earth, under the earth. This three tiered cosmology for understanding how everything works. Um, we, we can point to passages, and these are obviously um, New Testament passages, but we'll, we'll I'll throw in some Old Testament as well. But Revelation five three, Philippians two ten. Uh, It says no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look into it. So that was Revelation 5, 3, where it says no one in heaven, on earth or under the earth. And then so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, uh, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So there we have two, obviously New Testament passages, uh, but two passages in scripture that directly call out these three tiers uh, in heaven, on earth and under the earth. Uh, we can also go to a passage like Job eleven seven seven through nine. Uh, can you fathom the depths of God or discover the limits of the almighty? Are you higher than the heavens? What can you do? Are they deeper? Or sorry, they are deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. So in that Job passage, seven through nine, we see heaven, uh, the highest heavens. We see the lowest depths of Sheol and then the earth and the, the seas. Uh, perhaps another way that we we could speak of this uh, this, this cosmology, um, especially as it pertains to under the earth, uh, we have words like Shaol, the pit, the abyss, the deep, the lowest parts of the earth. Um, so as as we're talking about a conversation like like hell, again, a place that um, we have modern ideas of what this word means, we have conceptions uh, of what this word means, and. Depending on who you talk to, if you if you went up on if you went if you went up to somebody on the street today and, you know, you said something like, what do you think hell is? Um, I think often we have the caricature of, you know, a little red uh, horned guy with a pitchfork standing over a lake of fire um, and all of his little minions. Like that's that's sort of like how we've uh, how how our movies and our cartoons have portrayed it. Uh, Obviously, that would have looked much different to a person walking around in the Old Testament world as we thought about what lies beyond the here and the now. So what exists beyond this life? Um, and so for for many in the Old Testament, uh, they would talk about Shaol or the abyss or the deep. Uh, Psalm 88, for example, for I have had enough troubles and my life is near Sheol, for I am counted among those going down to the pit. I am like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead. I am the slain, lying in the grave whom you no longer remember, and who uh, who is cut off from your care. So there's an example of even just a couple of words, Shaol, the pit, uh, abandoned among the dead. These are all ways in which people in the Old Testament talked about the place beyond the grave, right? Uh, maybe you want to reference Jonah too. The water engulfed me up to my neck. The watery depths overcame me. Uh, I sank to the foundations of the mountain. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. But then you raised my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. Uh, that idea of being raised from the pit, being raised from Shaol. Um, again, some of that was maybe uh, covering things we've covered before in previous episodes. Uh, but it, I think it really helps in talking about hell or talking about the afterlife. Um, what, however, we want to refer to that by, by referencing that, that three-tiered cosmology. There's uh, the heavens, the earth, and under the earth. And then understanding that when we're talking about under the earth, there were certain words that people used to refer to that place. There was Sheol, the pit, the abyss, the deep, the lower parts of the earth. All of those are sort of like synonymous for this same place. And again, if you want a really in-depth treatment about that place, go listen to our episode on Christ's descent to the dead. Uh, But I think that's where I'll leave at least these introductory things. Is there anything else you want to say uh, on this matter? No, I think I would just want to like
1: sort of reiterate or, or, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but just what's really interesting and I think helpful in starting here in this conversation is um, even if we're not necessarily, you know, familiar with or interested in like the ins and outs of all the details of of what, you know, what the pit means or, or you know, you know, that translation of Sheol or or what did, you know, ancient Israelites have in mind when they talked about the grave? You know, what was the ancient Near Eastern way of looking at cosmology? Like all those are, are helpful questions and, and they're very illuminating. But even if we're not concerned with the ins and outs and the details, um, what I do think is helpful, even just in a general sense, is starting here for the sake of of reframing how we talk about it, it's because when you just say the word hell, like you said, you think of, you know, the little green devil, green, the little, the little red devil, uh, with a pitchfork and, you know, the torture chambers and the fire and, uh, and maybe even kind of like funny, like, like, like I think of like cartoons, you know, like, I don't know, like, like older cartoons, funny or something, you you know? Yeah. Like, like that, that are, are not necessarily serious, but they have this same kind of, you know, imagery and, um, I'm not saying that's the same thing as, you know, the cosmology of the ancient world, but there are overlaps in terms of like words carry cultural baggage. So a word like hell has certain cultural connotations that may be helpful or may not be helpful. I'm not really saying I have an opinion either way so much as when we're reading these texts that God gave to people in a different cultural context, it's helpful to to reorient ourselves and reorient right. how we want to talk about this or that topic, whatever, whatever we're, we're discussing. So, so I think that's, that would be kind of like the key point of what we're trying to say here is like um, we, we should try and interact with, you know, the texts of scripture that, that do talk about death, afterlife, hell, that kind of stuff on their own terms before looking at how, you know, as, as much as we can before we, we look at our own mental pictures of hell or right. the way that we have maybe, um, you know, and I'm not saying that, like I said, I'm not saying we have to throw out every, every image we have in our head from our culture. That that would be impossible and, and isn't necessary. But the point is just um, to look at them on their own terms, I think is helpful by starting with this, like what did people think of the way the universe was structured and right. Maybe that's not a good way of looking at it, but it was a way that people looked at it. So let's let's take a look at what these words mean
0: in their proper mm. context, right? Well, to even add color to that, something that we miss because we're English speakers is how words are even translated in scripture. Uh, I think modern translations do a much better job, uh, but like the King James Bible, for example, misleadingly translates um, the word for Shehol, uh, Sheol and the word for Gehenna. So two different words that are trying to communicate two different ideas, but the King James Bible just sort of translates both of them with the Anglo-Saxon word hell. So that can be a little misleading if you're if you're reading through the Old Testament and then you're reading through the New Testament in English and you just keep coming across this same word hell 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 hell, you're going to start developing ideas in your head of of what this place might be. Maybe you already have ideas from from culture, from uh, from cinema, from whatever. And it's going to inform how you read a certain passage. Like, for example, when, when, when the Bible does speak of Sheol, when it speaks of the pit, it's not necessarily talking about the place of everlasting torment. It's not talking about the, uh, the place at the end of times when, when God judges the, the living and the dead. It's talking about a place in the here and the now. Like, Sheol was a place that people descended to and, again, I think s- still do descend to as we await the Last Judgment. But we can't confuse Sheol with a word like Gehenna, for example. So I'll give you, again, some more Old Testament and New Testament background here. This word Gehenna, also the Valley of Hinnom or Hinnom. Uh, You'll you'll find it both depending on Greek or Hebrew. Um, Basically, initially, Gehenna was the place where the kings of Judah sacrificed their children by fire. So like that, it was a a real place, the Valley of Hinnom. Uh, Something really happened there. And because of what happened, it was basically like deemed as cursed, like in in Jewish thought, in in the way that people viewed that valley. Like it was a cursed place, a place you wouldn't go. Um, Like Jeremiah 731 says, they have built the high places of Topheth in Ben-Hinnom Valley in order to burn their sons and daughters in the fire a thing I did not command. I never entertained the thought. Um, so again, that's speaking of this valley or or what in Greek what we call hen, uh, Gehenna. And something happened there um, and that very real, tangible, physical thing that happened sort of like changed and transformed how people not only looked at that physical space, but how they thought about a spiritual reality that was related to it. Um, so that's it, like in rabbinic literature, Gehenna is also a destination of the wicked. It's a place where the wicked go. It's a place where the wicked dwell because wicked things happened in the physical Gehenna or the physical Valley of Hinnom. Um, And so again, Sheol and Hades on one hand, uh, Gehenna on the other, we have uh, Sheol and Hades again, that's Hebrew and Greek uh, for the same place. That's like a more neutral place of the dead dwelling of the dead um, whereas Gehenna is this place that again, eventually takes on the connotations of everlasting torment or what we probably think of when we say hell these days. And as, as I'm even speaking now, I, I'm probably not coming off as clear as I want to. Um, but what I'm trying to communicate yeah, is no. like, when we say the word hell today, oftentimes people are simply thinking of the eternal place where people are going to, for be, to be after the final judgment um they don't necessarily mean a physical place now where we await the judgment if that makes sense
1: yeah i think it does and also to even sort of attempt to clarify even even yeah. further or in a different way like not even necessarily a, a question of of physical or spiritual places or or you know um or you know eternity you know uh eternity future versus now versus you know the past or whatever but um just even the The fact that that what we're trying to do, and this is not new to anyone who did listen to that uh, Descent episode, um, is is distinguish between different locations within you know quote unquote the grave or within quote unquote hell we might say you know to to translate into English, um, and it, or different compartments. I've, I I can't remember if I heard you use that, but but I, I remember. A few months, you know, around the time we were doing that episode, maybe when we were prepping, like, yeah, no, for sure, that that terminology, which was new to me, which I think is kind of helpful. But um what's kind of interesting, I, I, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't know all the ways that this connects to, um, the particular like vocabulary that we see in scripture or things like the the way that the rabbinical writers, you know, treated places like Gehenna and stuff. But um, Thomas Aquinas in the Summa actually it's interesting. He speaks of, um, I'm not totally clear if it's three parts of the same place or if it's three different places, but he, he, he talks about a place called the hell of the lost, a different, a different place called purgatory and a different place called the hell of the fathers. Right. And the father's Hmm. talking about like the old Testament saints, um, those who, who died prior to Christ's crucifixion, Descent and ascension. So, so in in the Summa, in in in, uh, if, for those who are interested, it's it's uh part three a question fifty two, and it's answer one or I'm sorry, article one. But um he's he's answer he like the questions that he's exploring in in this in this section of the Summa is things like you know where did Christ descend to. You know, Mm. he says things like one of the one of the objections is like, well, well, it seems like Christ must have descended into the hell of the lost for this, this and this reason or, you know, whatever. And and Thomas's answer is no, he he descended into the hell of the fathers, not into this other place called purgatory or this other other place called the hell of the lost. And he gives these reasons, you know, based on scripture, based on on tradition, you know, whatever, like I'm not necessarily trying to get into the what he's talking about so much is just this, this distinction. Um, it, 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 it's not a new thing. You know, we definitely didn't come up with it. Um, it, it definitely isn't something that is a recent development in the history of, of Christian thought and theology. Um, and I think ultimately it's because, you know, it it is justified to talk about it being in scripture, I believe, (laughs) you know, as we're kind of doing here. Um, so that's why i think you know that it is something that that comes up as you kind of go through christian history you know these ideas that that you know hades and gehenna are two different ideas or two different places right and and you know to again with the reframing it kind of um i think is is extremely helpful to understand what gehenna is which is just this foreign word to us when our bibles just have it written there oh, it's this perpetually burning trash heap outside of Jerusalem where ancient kings sacrificed children to pagan gods. Like, that, that means something, you know, right. kind of like you're saying. It's this very real, tangible thing. But beyond just being real and tangible and very, like, visceral and, and striking and, you know, uh, like, it, it really stands out, you know. But it, it, it also is a cultural touchstone Right when and and Jesus uses this this word, you know he he talks about Gehenna um, all the time. <laughs> and what what's interesting to think about is is to evaluate. You know, it, it's hard to think of necessarily a parallel to to our own culture. You know, in terms of um, uh, you know like like perhaps uh, we 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 might talk about places being like a war zone, right? And it's like when we say that. We have these, you know, we might be referring to like like a dangerous neighborhood in a city or something. Like, oh, that's like a war zone. And it's like, that's a that's sort of a cultural like reference or idiom where it's like, obviously, you know, there's not like a literal war between two different countries going on in, you know, such and such neighborhood in a city. But like, we're using these, these imagery these terms that we understand what's going on we're talking oh this is this place is not safe or this place you know is marred by violence or you know uh you 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 wouldn't want to go there you know and it's like maybe that's not a great analogy but maybe it's kind of helpful just to get the point across of like this this cultural touchstone that's going on and i think what's what's also important to say is i'm not saying that that somehow diminishes The reality of what Jesus is talking about, just because we say, oh, Gehenna was this real, you know, burning trash heap over here that had these, you know, cultural memories of of human sacrifice attached to them. So we can just kind of now that we know that we can we can just comfortably, you know, forget about whatever Jesus has to say about hell, because we know he's talking about Gehenna. Like, that's not what I'm saying. The fact right. that the fact that this is a real place with cultural, mm-hmm. religious, spiritual relevance to the people that Jesus is talking to doesn't somehow take away from the reality of what Jesus is talking to them about. Right. Uh, it, it, if anything, it 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 just shows that it is a reality, you know, that that he's he's illustrating a reality with something. But what I think it does is help to expand our horizons, like I mentioned before, to reframe into to engage with these, these ideas on their own terms, if that makes
0: sense. And to like, just give you like boots on the ground example, Matthew 530, uh, you know, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says, uh, better for you that one of your parts uh, of your body perish than for your whole body to go into Gehenna. I think in your modern English translation, it's basically like, you know, that, that uh, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, because it's better to go into heaven with one hand than to have two hands and be thrown into hell. But I think most English translations will literally just translate Gehenna into that English word hell. And again, Jesus is speaking to like real people. He was speaking to people that he could see, people that he probably knew, people that he didn't know. Well, I mean, like, you know, I mean, they didn't know who he was. Um, Whole nother conversation there. (laughs) Um, But like he's he's when he says Gehenna, there are likely plenty of people who would be like, well, that's weird. Like why would Jesus mention that like big burning trash heap? Like why would people? So it's either heaven or burning in the trash heap. Like that's our our option kind of thing, and and that's that's kind of like what you're getting at here is like it, it's it's slightly changing how we read even the biblical text because Jesus was using just like he often did with parables, even like real physical things that people could see and understand. I, I like your use of the word visceral um, to even communicate possibly greater spiritual realities um so that that's just a very real and this is all over matthew mark luke and john especially like almost any time that you see the word hell especially if jesus is talking about it it's more than likely translating the the greek word gehenna it's just to give you that context it's not translating Sheol slash hades it's not talking about the pit it's talking about something completely other and so again especially if you've listened to our episode on Uh, the the descent to the dead. I hope you can at least at this point see how Sheol is different than Gehenna and why it's dangerous to translate both of those terms with just the blanket term hell, because that's not necessarily what it means. So that's, that's just what I wanted to add there.
1: Yeah. And again, it, or maybe not again, but it is worth noting similarly to the idea that like, you know, Jesus pointing to a real place to, to communicate what he's saying about heaven and hell and righteousness and sin, um, that doesn't take away from the reality of it. It it also is not. I, I mean, I don't believe it's either of our intentions. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like the the implication is not that Gehenna and Hades are unconnected or right, no, un, no. unrelated or whatever. Um, the idea is that there's there's more complexity and nuance to to what it means when, when we, or what it, you know, what scripture means or what we mean when we say hell, when we say, when we ask this question, what is hell? There's, there's more to it than just good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And it's right. You know,
0: and that's very true. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I hope I, I wish I would have communicated at the outset that like, what I'm just trying to do is reframe the modern mindset that most people have about hell. Yeah, I think yeah. it'd be a really good idea if we did a, the same thing on heaven, like if we read, I think most people think mm-hmm. that heaven just means we're going to go live up in the clouds, you know, floating on streets of gold and playing harps all day. Right. And we're going to have wings. I mean, I literally know people that think that we turn into angels when we die. So like, it's that sort of thing of like reframing how we think about heaven and hell, rethinking this understanding that just in some senses seems so commonplace. I mean, how many times do you just hear somebody say like, go to hell, like as a, as an insult, mm-hmm. um, but like what they're saying in those words might not be like go to the place of everlasting eternal torment. Maybe it just, it's just a, again, like you said, it's an idiom. It's a figure of speech. It's a modern way to say like, you know, I don't like you go away. You're the worst type, type of communication. Um, But, but words matter the way that we use them matter. And so in, in again, in my goal in having this conversation, wasn't so much to, again, to talk about where people go, where people end up, who goes, where, Uh, But to talk about what that place is, how it's been conceived of in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and now hopefully maybe some other conceptions of it as well. So I I feel like I I just want to like apologize that like, no, 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 I don't want to come off as being harsh or judgmental or like seeming like I'm talking down to anybody. I'm just really trying to like reframe and understand this idea because it's even somewhat new to me.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't I don't think you uh, I don't think you did you know let us know on twitter if if he did but <laughs> um uh yeah so i think that like that sort of is helpful hopefully in looking at what is hell the nature of it what we mean by it from from sort of we we might want to say like a a metaphysical or or an objective sense in terms of like what it literally is in its just existence or whatever but another another piece of this conversation is sort of w- what is the nature of hell as it relates to people, you know, um, because whatever you, your traditional sort of conception of, of hell and heaven and whatever, like those things, those, those are places or realities on their own, but they're also primarily places and realities that relate to people, you know, and, and, you know, once again, last time we'll mention it, we're not we're not answering those questions of of you know evaluating what gets you to which place. That we've you know touched on it, I'm sure, in some other point in our history, and, and there's there's plenty about about that, but we're more interested here in talking about the nature of hell itself. And I think that one thing that's helpful is there are different ways of of conceiving of hell in terms of not just what it is for, and in the sense of an objective spiritual reality. Um or a metaphysical reality, but also, um what what it's like, you know what I mean, what the uh, what the what it means to to be in hell, right? And in this case, you know, we're, we we are kind of more veering towards that sort of final destination um after the day of the Lord and judgment kind of sense but but there is still this disagreement and um, differing opinions that that reflect different understandings of of w- what I would consider like the purpose of hell right depending on what the purpose of hell is seen to be there are going to be different views on what hell is like what the nature of hell truly is and ultimately all of this revolves around what is the the final response to sin, because, you know, we're not, we don't need to get into the details, but, you know, no surprises here. You know, hell is ultimately a response to sin. Hell exists because there is sin, right? There is, there is rebellion against God. There is separation from God. And that's what, that's what hell ultimately is. Um, but that doesn't mean that everyone agrees on what that looks like, right? So we've got a few sort of really two, two and a half major views that have existed in different forms at different times in church history. Um, and just as sort of an introduction, I wanted to kind of fly over these as, as a way to to complement what we've talked about in terms of reframing all this stuff about, about words like Sheol and Hades and Gehenna, and then also just uh, mental images and pictures we have Similarly, it, it's, you know, I'm not advocating a position here so much as just trying to broaden horizons and, and open um, the option to to think through these things with a little more nuance and complexity. So the oh, like his, historically speaking, whatever you might think of it, whether you believe it or not, historically speaking, the overwhelming view and tradition of the church is that hell, this final place is a, a place of eternal conscious torment is sort of the very fun, um, you know, term for it, uh, which is just love it. Yeah. Um, but so we see this as, as like super early, like, like writings from Tertullian and Chrysostom commenting on second Thessalonians one in, in verse nine, Paul talks about punishment, um, being quote, you know, everlasting destruction. Um, and we see in in figures like augustine and then later uh, following from him calvin will talk about the the punishment for sin is sim- sort of symmetrical we could say with the eternal life in christ so because basically it's sort of this this connection between the the nature of life in christ being everlasting and eternal implies that the nature of death separated from Christ is also everlasting and eternal. Right. Um, And sort of getting a a similar idea from a different angle. Aquinas talks about how um, finite creatures. um, It's kind of, it sounds like a kind of a funny way to think about it to, to my ears, but um, because created beings are, are finite, they, they can't, their punishment can't be infinitely intense. Are infinitely strong because we're only finite so instead what's infinite is the duration of it if that makes sense so instead hmm. of having an infinite punishment bear down on you you have a punishment that lasts for infinity
0: oh interesting <laughs> I, I, guess. I don't think I've ever heard that
1: yeah which I I don't know I don't know like the 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 details of like his argument with that hmm. um uh but uh, by the way just you know once again shout out honestly at this point crossway should just sponsor us but um, Robert Latham's <laughs> systematic theology is is really helpful in just laying out a lot of these ideas and 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 backing it up with with good citations and further reading section and stuff. So check it out if you haven't. Um, and this is kind of classically articulated in in Anselm's satisfaction theory, which which if you've ever taken a, a systematic theology class at a Bible college, you've 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 heard of before. But there's this idea that the the when when we sin against God. God is infinite, and we have offended his honor right we we have we have sinned against this infinite God and because he's an infinite god he's he's infinitely worthy he's infinitely glorious he's infinitely perfect and holy and all that stuff um, the the recompense the payment to to atone for that sin needs to be infinite so the the way that this fits into this sort of classical traditional eternity view of hell is um the punishment the result the consequence of of the sin against the infinite god is infinite or we could say instead of infinite we can say eternal um and that's sort of i I think a good sort of like foundation for for the the theology of that of that view and then also um like we saw with Tertullian and Chrysostom, there are, there are all kinds of comments about, you know, um, everlasting destruction and eternal death. And, um, you know, we, uh, you know, being cast in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, so it's not like, you know, it's not like you can say, oh, some people in the middle ages just made this up. You know, clearly this is a, this is a, this is a, a traditional interpretation of various biblical texts and thinking through them theologically. Similarly, there's, there's a different way of thinking through various biblical texts and thinking about them theologically um, that comes at it from a bit of a different angle. Um, so there's this idea called conditional immortality, which is basically the the concept that humanity is not intrinsically immortal, right? Like you and I as human beings will die. And that's, that's part of our nature. Our nature is not immortal. God's nature is immortal. You know, God doesn't need to be given everlasting life. He, he simply has everlasting life because he is everlasting life. Um, But some people who would hold to conditional immortality would tie that view or, or sort of from that view, um, come up with a, a, a view of annihilationism which is i think probably a fairly familiar word to to many people um but the idea that those who who die separated from christ are annihilated they, they cease to exist in, in you know at some point after judgment or, or after they die or whatever um again not trying to get too into the weeds just in terms of all the ins and outs as much as sort of trying to generalize and and discuss the the major themes. So going back to, you know, verses like what I referenced before, 2 Thessalonians 1-9, everlasting destruction, um, the sort of the major exegetical argument for something like annihilationism is taking words like destruction literally, right? Like if something is destroyed or burned in a fire, like it's gone. You know what I mean? Like you you burn a log in your fireplace. You burn it long enough, it is no longer a log. It has ceased to be there. You know, it's burned up, it's gone. And similar with destruction, if, if something is destroyed, if you destroy a building, you know, like like they demolish a building because it's you know unsafe and condemned or whatever, like that building is gone. So taking those terms literally and then looking at adjectives like eternal, to instead of instead of talking about the 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 temporal duration of that destruction. It's the quality of that destruction. It's an eternal destruction because it's permanent. It's final, you know, it's eternal in a qualitative sense, not a quantitative sense. Um, and then there are various theological questions of, of justice and love and, and you know, the the triumph of, of, of God conquering death, you know, forever, um, which we don't need to get into. That that might be worth a, an episode down the road. It might, we'll see. But the, the point being... Um, these are, these are different ways of thinking about hell that I, th- I do think are helpful, regardless of, of how comfortable we are with the arguments or how much we agree or, or don't agree, um, just for, for f- sort of flexing our brain muscles a little bit in order to think through these things. Like taking a look at what's under our English translation helps us to flex our brain muscles and think through what's being said. Um, and again, there's, there, there are other, you know, there are other views too, like, like, like we think of purgatory, um, and this sort of remedial sense to, to punishment for sin or, or, you know, consequence for sin, um, whether we're talking about purgatory in a Roman Catholic sense, or just a view of hell that it is remedial and everybody eventually goes to heaven after being purified in, 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 um, hell, whatever that looks like. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, And, and so there's, uh, there's, you know, way more could be said about each of those views. Um, but I'll, I'll stop it there because we don't, we don't need to get into the weeds so much as just to, to highlight the complexities and some of the nuance, and then also kind of just encourage, um, a, a, a certain level of reframing how we talk about and think about these things in light of not only the, the various traditions, um, and opinions and theologies of hell that, that exist um, you know, whether they are relatively recent or go back to the beginning of the church, you know um, there are various ideas and recognizing right. that and, and taking those ideas, you know, in good faith arguments to, to evaluate them, I think is important and helpful to sharpen our own opinions and help us get closer to the truth, which ultimately ties back to what we talked about for the first half, the, the, the actual biblical data, you know, what is being said here? What are people writing about in the Psalms and, and, uh, you know, Jonah and Job and, and what is Jesus preaching about in Matthew? You know, these are the questions that I think are really, really important. And ultimately any answer that doesn't fit those isn't necessarily an answer that we need to be concerned with because we're trying to answer the question of what is hell we should, we should be, first and foremost, concerned with, with what God has revealed to us. And when we look at it, it's it's oftentimes, in my experience, a lot more, like we're saying, nuanced and complicated than what we're just handed. Um, and that's not necessarily through any fault of anybody, so much as it just, if, if you don't think about something and then you see it for the first time, you got to think about it, right? And um, I, I think that, like... Like I think you alluded to this a little earlier, but like for me, topics like like this are are ones that I've definitely had just sort of default opinions, which aren't necessarily bad opinions, and I don't even necessarily know if they're wrong, but they weren't opinions that I arrived at from from really taking time to think about it. And there's there's a bajillion things to think about. So there's always things I haven't thought about yet. <laughs> but when it comes time to think about them, it's it's good to to actually think about them. And I think that Agreed. these yeah. kinds of conversations are really exciting to me because it's fun and and um, interesting and then also uh, really edifying and helpful to go through that process of thinking things through. Um, so, you know, I hope we haven't changed anyone's minds because other than just saying that you should think about it, we haven't really said anything <laughs> in terms of like advocating a position on this or that. So, right. Um, I guess other than just the idea that the Bible talks about, you know, more than one place um, right, being and, related yeah, and, and, to, and, to the grave, but
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. And really, I just like, like I said, just to completely reiterate, to summarize, to, to wrap up as we, as we progressed through this episode, as we looked at different words and different concepts and different ideas uh, it was really meant to underscore that we again, can't just throw one word at all of those ideas and think that it means the same thing. Um, it's just not doing justice to the text. And so, as we as we look at this theme of 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 hell, how did it develop? How did it mature? Uh, where did these ideas come from? Like, I think it's just helpful to know the the history. It's helpful to know how that how that grew. And at the end of the day, whether you're whether you believe in eternal conscious torment, whether you believe in eternal um, or uh, sorry annihilation annihilationism, um, at, at the end of the day. Scripture isn't abundantly clear. And so maybe it's not worth squabbling over all of it, but just understanding that like hell is a reality. And so we should go out and preach the gospel. We should proclaim the good news of Christ. And um, at the end of the day, those are the things that matter, not what's going to happen at the end of time, because God alone knows uh, what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, So unless you have anything else you want to throw in, I don't have any other spiciness. Uh, I I realized mid-recording, Lucas, that we never uh, planned a prayer or who was going to pray. So I just pulled up Psalm 90. I figured it was appropriate to to pray through the Psalms. So uh, it starts in verse one and it says, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust Saying, Return, descendants of Adam, for in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours in the night. You end their lives and they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows, by evening it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger, we are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, maybe 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on us, your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all of our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be on us. Establish for, the, for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Amen. Amen
1: man thank you for bearing with us through this topic through this uh you know ups and downs and um i, th- I feel like we covered a lot like honestly a lot more than i kind of hoped yeah, we would, for sure we would get to so <laughs> i'm I, I feel good about that hopefully it was good stuff hopefully it's interesting um and hope you liked it if if you did or didn't you can connect with us uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at doxology Podcast. Uh, you can shoot us an email at doxologypodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com for feedback, positive or negative. Uh, really, it doesn't matter to me. Um, constructive is more useful, but you know, it's more
0: constructive
1: <laughs> if you're just mad, like I'm not gonna stop you Be mad. Um, but but no, for real, thank you so much for, for tuning in and and we'd love to hear from you. Questions, future episode ideas, feedback just say hi um we are super appreciative and grateful to everyone who tunes in who who has listened to one episode or 100 um and yeah can't wait to see you again so until next
0: time